0: Welcome to this week's Friday Breakfast with Capitalize. In this bite-sized weekly episode, we'll take you through three recent business stories which you may have missed and which are impacting small businesses. This week, we've got three particularly contemporary ones and one that surely is going to continue firing on for the next couple of weeks. I'm Alex Clark, head of revenue for Capitalize in South Africa, and I'm joined by Kirsty McGregor, founder of the Corporate Finance Network and Capitalize's accountant in residence. Hi, Kirsty. How are you today?
1: Hello, I am fine, thank you. In the UK, we're all in between these bank holidays at the moment. There's a bank holiday last week, there's one next week. We're all a bit like, what day of the week is it? But yeah, I'm fine, I'm good.
0: Uh, we, we, um, we have something similar in South Africa. I find myself becoming more of a cynic now because I'm actually a little bit aggrieved at having, we've got four weeks in a row with four day weeks.
1: Yeah, because we got four. Similar. We got
0: the Easter weekend, and then we got two weeks in a row of, of of other ones. And I obviously thoroughly enjoy them, but I'm also a bit of a cynic because it's a crippler for productivity. Damn. But let's keep half full, glass half full. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and talking about glass half full, um, we had another fantastic interview last week with Matt McLaughlin of Foresight. It was yourself, Kirsty, and um, Ollie on the podcast. So um, you know, it sounded great. Having listened to it, I really enjoyed it. Um, but tell me a little bit about um about you know your takeaways and and what uh yeah what what you guys enjoyed it as the hosts
1: with Matt and, and it was um, the reason that we ended up getting Matt on the call was because I laughed out loud at something that was in the levelling up white paper uh, but you know I've kind of got egg on my face because actually it is happening already this thing and I was absolutely astounded but um, anyhow Matt was uh, great at explaining it and also a wider discussion about the current situation in, in the VC private equity markets for SMEs in the UK and Foresight private equity are a smaller cap investor um, and they're particularly active across lots of different regions which is why I really like them as well they're in different parts of the UK Um, and they are looking in particular for MBO teams who are going to be buying out founders who will want to retire from a fairly solid business but it may not be suitable or the owner might not want to sell it into the trade so if you've got clients who might be looking to exit in the coming years then Matt gave some brilliant tips about how to start discussions about that transition early, and what any VCs will be looking for. There are other VCs that are in this this same space as well, but it's uh, well worth a listen.
0: Yeah, and I think the key takeaway there is early. You know, yes. I think we we know that generally speaking, SMEs and business owners lead things until the last minute. It's a big yep. problem we see with the funding space as well. Um, and so, if you know, if if anyone takes anything away, early, 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 we'll say it yep. a few more times. But talking about looking to the future and talking about um being uh, proactive in your strategy and um, i think the first news story you've got um Kirstie fits in quite nicely with that theme so um kick us off and yeah where are we starting this week
1: so funnily enough actually kate nichols features in each of these episodes each of these articles i've chosen she's she seems to have been all over the press in the last couple of weeks so kate nichols is um hospitality uk uh, and you know shouts for the uh, the retailers the pubs the restaurants um in that space um and you know she's she's great in fact we did an interview with her on a previous season of podcast really worth listening back to that one she her knowledge is phenomenal um, but this first article is about Netflix. It was in City AM, uh, and it was about the you know car crash now of the valuation that Netflix have just had um, you know disaster at the moment with losing hundreds of thousands and millions of subscribers as consumers are voting with their feet very very rapidly with the cost of living increasing and. Um, you know, pulling on their own purse strings they are immediately cutting out luxury items of which they they believe netflix is one for them so what netflix are having to do is they are looking at alternative revenue strategies in particular you know advertising for them which they've said they would never do but they are now having to consider that and also that leads me into um again just talking about the economy the uh you have probably seen it was quite wide widely um publicized in the in the telegraph and, and other newspapers this week uh that the imf uh the international monetary fund have predicted that uk growth um will will be weaker than any other country in the in the g7 um so that wasn't a particularly positive news story but there's definitely you no know, slower growth stories um around and it just made me think that i know none of our listeners are likely to be advising netflix but uh, you will be advising you other never businesses. know you never know could be i need to find out who the auditor is um you never know but there will be other businesses that are in absolutely similar situations where their product is is maybe a luxury or discretionary product to consumers or you know, they're in a supply chain that ultimately ends up with consumers. So there are going to be changes, and businesses have to be agile, they have to be able to react quickly, and this is where I'm looking here at you know, our, our clients, of our, our listeners, what can you do for them that's more strategic reviews, um, looking forward, considering what might happen to the market for them, You know, getting much more involved in, in that side of, forward-looking rather than, you know, the historical reporting that we're so good at? Do
0: you know, I mean, this is a super hot topic, right? Netflix has been all over my newsfeed today. I'm sure by the time that this podcast is released in the morning, there will be another evolution, right, with with more things changing. But it's, um, you know, I think it's a very, very interesting um, article. There's a lot of people casting ideas and thoughts as to why people are moving, why people are leaving, um, you know, I think, as you said, they've lost 200,000 already this quarter. They're forecasting perhaps losing 2 million customers. It's one of the first periods in time where they've not posted, you know, significant revenue growth. Cost of content production, et cetera, is going up. And I think, you know, there's a good spin from them around. It's an increase in cost of living. There's, you know, you know macroeconomic uncertainty at the moment, et cetera. But I think there's also just a general point here of, and I read a fantastic piece on LinkedIn. And if anyone would like it, then please hit me on LinkedIn and I'll share it with you about, how you would look at Netflix as an investor. And one of the threads that this guy unpicked amongst many was that there's just this general growth in competition out there at the moment of streaming yeah. platforms. And if I take sport as an example, you know, there is a, a general apathy at the moment around the fact that as a subscriber, in order for you to get, all of the different content that you want, you need to have three or four different yeah. streaming platforms. If you want to watch rugby, you need to have BT. If you want to watch, I don't know, F1, you have to have Sky. Some of the rugby's on Amazon Prime. If you want to watch American channels, you've got to find a way of getting hold of like ESPN. If you want to watch whatever it is, is it, you know? Yeah. there's a bit of apathy at the moment that you end up having five different platforms. And sport is more than the £8 and £9 a month for Netflix. And so I think people are looking at how and where do they cut costs. But I think also there is just this general... Um, lack of value that, that's really being presented by some of these um these people, some of these businesses. I saw a great meme about Blockbuster versus Netflix at the moment, right? And then the kind of too big to fail mindset of, you know, Netflix has released a little bit of content recently. They've released some cool Ryan Reynolds films, but actually the general stuff that's coming out is is not as good as it has been in the last two or three years. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. I think looking to the future, as you said, is important. You, know, you have to be confident that if you're going to do a Netflix lite almost like Spotify you're going to make more revenue from the adverts you bring in than you are from the subscription loss of people that are moving away from a paid sub Mm -hmm. to a free one it's a yeah interesting um interesting shift and I think it's a um a shift when you look at business here that is also kind of prevalent in the second story that you've brought for us today um and the second story Kirsty is more on the line of working from home right and the shift that we're seeing in that dynamic
1: yeah. well this is this will surprise me but I suppose it was inevitable but um I've kind of got into the mindset that this hybrid way of working is going to be the way we go uh, it, it's it's settled it seems to be working for most businesses in in some way um but no here we go Jacob Rees-Mogg has has come in uh, as the minister for government efficiency what a title that is and he's Ordered all of his secretaries of state in all the government departments to lead the way and send their civil servants back to the office because they are apparently taking the working from home thing uh, a little bit stronger than perhaps most corporate businesses are, in that up to three quarters of staff are still working from home in the civil service. And, um, you know, I know that's a fact with uh, a lot of, um, you know, people that I know that work in various. Council departments locally or even government government offices. um, They have, you know, really 90% of the time working from home. So is this now going to shift everybody back into the office a bit more than we have been? And um, of course, hospitality bosses, and this is where Kate Nichols comes up again. um, She's very keen that we're all back into the city centres and the the town centres, and also the nighttime industry, City AM uh were um were quoting the nighttime industries association who um are all saying the same thing you know they want strong vibrant city and town centers and they're necessary to spur on this economic recovery so Mm. i'm just wondering by september are we very much more going to be seen as you know working more from the office just something to watch really and interested to see what accountants
0: do as well. Mm, do you know, I think I read this story and we'll stay away from, from commenting on the uh, protagonist in in the in the article but I just thought the whole construct of it was a bit ridiculous having been through what we've seen in the last 24 months and the kind of and everybody I would imagine that's listening to this podcast will have felt some of the repercussions of this kind of great res- uh, resignation that, that's been unfolding um, and I think you know, it's a really, really difficult and very autocratic stance to take in a period of time where people have had incredible uncertainty. There's been this, you know, one extreme of 100% office pre-pandemic to 100% at home. Now we're in this more hybrid working model. And, you know, I think we have to understand or start questioning, like, what are the driving forces behind? Because there are some very, very, you know, Pertinent reasons why we would want to encourage people back into the city centre. I think, yeah. as you've alluded to there, like it's going to drive economic recovery. It's going to help in the workplace with collaboration. We've seen it capitalise having people in the office massively increases, um, you know, the effectiveness within which we operate because being able yeah. to walk a metre to somebody and ask them a question rather than send a Slack and wait for a couple of hours for a reply in some instances changes the output and changes the efficiency with which we work. But I think it's a incredibly difficult topic to tread on and I think it's one we all have to walk through very very carefully and I think as as you had mentioned right at the beginning of the story we seem to have found a pretty good hybrid balance with people being in office people being around each other but also having the ability to to lock themselves away at home and I find I work very well at home when I'm in the office I love it and I would rather be in the office but I know if I'm in the office versus when I'm at home it's two very different working days for me
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about working from home so so often on these podcasts um, over the mm. last few months. But this one interested me just because I thought mm, maybe we're going to shift back a little bit more. I can't imagine it happening before the summer because now everybody starts to gradually you know, go off on holidays and different things. So yeah. maybe maybe September, October, we might we might see that. But let's wait and yeah. see. And, uh, and I think it story... was
0: a change in the urban landscape a little bit as well, right? Um, yeah 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 and you...
1: look, city centres are struggling but town centres are thriving actually because people are meeting more locally rather than mm. the major city centres in the UK anyway but yeah we will, we will start, to say, start to say BBC was my last story uh, but again I think it's been covered quite widely in that now this is a proposal so government proposals for new laws and new powers uh take years to end up becoming enacted so this isn't going to happen overnight but this is around the competition and markets authority who i do think need a little bit more power to their elbow um, on, on quite a few areas to be honest um, and this is one around um, reviews fake reviews in particular um, which of course review sites are now becoming more and more important for all businesses actually accountants as well as all of their clients Uh, not just the the Amazon review for the the books, but now it's just gone massively wider and it's very much part of our uh, psyche and what we do as consumers when we're buying. And this is where the CMA are potentially going to be able to award compensation directly to consumers and also impose financial penalties worth up to 10% of global annual turnover, which I thought was a pretty hefty fine, um, or up to 300,000 pounds in the case of an individual. Um, for three particular areas, it looks to me like they're trying to concentrate on. One is where businesses pay for fake reviews, uh, which I originally read as like, positive reviews on their own products on sites such as Trustpilot or Google or even LinkedIn. Uh, but also I saw that as um, I've seen in the in the case of uh, restaurants in particular where there have been fake reviews left by competitors giving bad reviews of restaurants so uh, hopefully that will be, that will stop as well because i think that has been quite yeah. damaging for, for some businesses there's also uh, an area where um, there's subscription traps you know and this is this happens a lot uh, especially on uh, subscriptions for newspapers or or magazines or or things that you know getting delivered to your house every month Uh, that it makes it very difficult for consumers to leave a contract. There was a particular newspaper company I had a subscription with, and the only way I could cancel that was to ring them up, uh, as in using their telephone, and and going through why I wanted to cancel that contract, which I just thought was appalling in this day and age. So they're going to be making that a bit um, easier for consumers to get out of subscriptions. And lastly, um, some more stricter rules around safeguarding customers' money through um, either insurance policies or trust accounts for these prepayment schemes, such as the Christmas Savings Clubs. And that's because of the Fairpack disaster and and previous ones as well. So um, the the Consumer Review websites are actually hoping uh, that this happens because I think they're saying Trustpilot are saying they welcome this legislation because this is something that Mm. they have to do and they have to put a lot of resource into themselves as well. Uh, to try and find out if they are fake or if they're genuine reviews. But it's definitely an area that's growing, isn't it? And yeah. as usual, what happens is businesses evolve and innovate and come up with these things, such as these review websites, and then eventually you um, you get the regulation catching up.
0: Yeah, and look, it's it's just an immensely logical step um, yeah. to, to take and, and to protect, um, you know, <laughs> This, this this kind of area of business i mean i find it difficult to even um envisage the idea of a company or an individual going and creating a fake review or going to a competitor and talking them down because yeah, it is just i mean it's just dishonest and you know ethically or morally wrong in my view but i understand that there are different ways to skin a cat um which also might be morally wrong but we'll we'll save that <laughs> one for another podcast but i think as you you know you touched on fine of 10 percent of, of global turnover is a hefty fine it's a serious fine so it shows a you know, there is a, a degree of, you know, meaningfulness behind it. And I think the same thing is true with contracts. I mean, it's uh, it, it's no secret, isn't it, that a lot of big companies try and tie you into contracts in one way or another and, and kind of have lots of hidden, um, you know, barriers to, to stop you from getting out. I always think of it as when Chandler and Ross and friends try and end their gym subscription yes. <laughs> and end up, um, <laughs> end up not being able to do so. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a logical piece of, of legislation and I think, um, you know, it, it would certainly do, do well and, and, you know, it's going to be, uh, keeping the consumer at the heart of it all. So three, um, really good uh, news stories this week, as promised thank you very very much, Kirsty and I think all three of them carry different um, you know different points of uh, of kind of discussion and you know the the Netflix one at the beginning you know is certainly a continuation in our consumer behavior pieces you know there seems to be lots of changes in that market at the moment, and you know consumers really are for the first time in in, in a long time having their voice heard in however it is they're choosing to to kind of execute that but as always, it's now time for my fun story. And yesterday, Thursday, the twenty-first of April, was the Queen's ninety-seventh birthday, which is a staggering feat. Um, and in perfect timing for what's to come um, later in this year, I think it's in June, isn't it? Which is the Platinum um, Jubilee. The toy maker Mattel um, is responsible for making. Uh, who is responsible for making Barbie has announced they're releasing a Queen Elizabeth II Barbie doll which is, I've seen a picture of it. I think we said before the podcast, Kirstie, you've also seen the picture of the doll that's going to come out. Um, It looks quite good. Kirstie's telling me she's 96, so not 97. I'm not wishing too many years away. That's me reading too fast before the podcast. Um, But, you know, a a great day and a great doll and and very nice to see, um, you know, the Queen having a Barbie um, coming out later in the year. So that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Um, And here's a reminder for those of you that are new to capitalise and haven't come across us before. Our vision very, very simply is to help small businesses and their advisors to have transparency and control over business finance. We want every small business to be able to identify the risks that they might face, explore how they stand from a credit perspective, and choose the right type of funding that's going to fit their business goals and ambitions. For those of you that are regular listeners to the podcast, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And of course, subscribe to make sure you get all of our future episodes hot off the press as they land in your podcast app on a Friday morning. Next Friday, we're also releasing our latest interview with Glenn Foster, who many of our listeners will know from his time as the UK and EMEA sales director for Zero, as we explore his new gig at Libbit. I'm going to say it wrong and we'll get him to correct us when we have the podcast next week, Friday. but I think it's Libio and what opportunity this presents for accountants when we look at how to tackle payments um, for your clients as well. So as I said, don't forget to tune in next week um, and also explore our back catalogue of interviews. We mentioned the great one we had with Matt last week and there's been a, a series of really, really good ones that kind of predate that as well. All of the tips and tricks in there are relevant for not just you as accountants, but also how to help your SME clients as well. For more information about Capitalize and the general uh, Future Positive podcast, please do check us out at www.capitalize.com. And once again, thanks for listening. We'll be back next Friday in our new format with an interview uh, for more business stories across the week to come the week after. So thank you, Kirstie, for joining me once again. I'm looking forward to, to you next week.